powered by Sports Interaction, Canada Sportsbook. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Game Over Ottawa. I'm your host, Maude, and I'm very glad to be talking about another offensive explosion by the Senators tonight. Now, granted, it was against the, the lowly Arizona Coyotes, but regardless, I am excited, and I think we should all be excited about the team this season. But before we get into that, we will thank our sponsor, Sports Interaction. Want to bet? You can do it at Sports Interaction, Canada's sportsbook. Football continues, the World Series is around the corner, and they've dropped the puck on the hockey season. Bet pre-game, live, in play, or on one of our many prop bets, made for Canadians, by Canadians, Sports Interaction makes it easy to deposit, play, and cash out. Join now and see all sports betting has to offer. Head to sportsinteraction.com sdpn. That's sportsinteraction.com sdpn. Ontario only, 19 plus. Please play responsibly. Now, how about that game? That was a little bit scary in the second period there when Arizona made it close, a little closer than it should have been in my opinion, but we got all those goals in the end and made it a uh, made it look like a blowout as as the stats looked like it should have been. You know, we really dominated on the shot count again just like we did against Washington. And that was great to see because Surprisingly, in the Sens' last eight games versus the Coyotes, they were 1-6-1, and one, which I remember getting uh, kind of destroyed by the Coyotes last year, and Nick Schmaltz, I think he had like a six or seven point game. That was pretty brutal, but I didn't realize that uh, the record against the Coyotes was so poor. I remember, I do remember some other games though, like Mikel Bodker way back when, when he was playing for the Coyotes, he got that hat trick. Lawson Krauss had a hat trick last year too. And uh, Duclair, when he was on the Coyotes, I remember seeing him score a hat trick against the Sens in person. So for whatever reason, the Coyotes have kind of had the Sens number over the last few years. And I mean, it's not necessarily too hard to have the Sens number in the last five years, considering they haven't been the best team, but it's not like Arizona has been a top team either. So kind of, Kind of surprising dominance by the Coyotes uh, in the recent years. But today, the Sens just stomped them. Like, I am so glad to see that we managed to get it to a blowout score in the end. And we kind of, because we kind of let them hang around in the second period there. But in the third period, the Sens really uh, put away any doubt that I had that it would be a close game. Because I feel like in the past, the Sens would kind of just hang around and try to defend and squeak out a one-goal win. But, uh, and I mentioned this against Washington, they really kept up the pressure against uh, against the uh, op opposing uh, defense in the third period while having a lead. They did that against Washington, which I love to see. And once again here tonight, especially against a uh, kind of suspect team in the Coyotes, that's what you need to do is just keep putting on the pressure and make sure that they can't get another fluky goal to, you know, tie the game and then uh, get to overtime. And also great to uh, whoop the Coyotes after they lost to, or uh, the Leafs lost to them last week. I have to mention that is, that was a uh, very funny moment. The The Leafs decided to spot the Coyotes, a nice little win there. Uh, other than that one game though, the Coyotes have allowed six goals in each of their losses. That's four losses now so with six goals each so i'm glad that the Sens were able to add to that total that little 
streak of Arizona giving up six goals and not not pull the Leafs, you know? And with uh, with those six goals added to the Sens uh, totals, they've now scored 17 goals in the last three games, which has been awesome for the home fans. I got to see the seven goals against Boston. That was great, and it seems like the next two games the fans were just treated once again. It's really nice to see the team putting up a great performance on this homestand so far, because I remember last year, uh, I think I went to five or six games and only saw one win. And uh, actually, my mom, shout out to her, I think she went to five games and she saw zero wins. So it's great to uh, start the season off here at home with a, a whole bunch of wins. Two more games left in this homestand here. It'll be kind of tougher opponents in, in Dallas and Minnesota, I think, at least compared to Arizona. Although I would say both of those teams are about on par with Boston and Washington. The way this homestand has been going, I'm honestly feeling like the Sens might be able to sweep the whole thing, which would just be amazing. Going from 0-2 to 5-2 to start. I'm not going to predict that it's going to happen or anything, but I don't know. I have a good feeling so far. Like, Dallas will definitely be a tougher opponent with uh, Jake Ottinger in net. We'll see if... We, I don't know if we'll be able to put 5 or 6 past him. Uh, but... Oh, I just want to note this comment in the chat here. Hamza pointed out the last time the Sens won three plus games in a row with six plus goals was from January 7th to 16th in 2007. There's been a lot of uh, references to 2007 recently with uh, that reverse retro jersey reveal and even just the Sens uh, high scoring ways like Hamza pointed out there. We haven't seen an offense like this in so long. Even when the Sens have had good seasons in the past decade, it hasn't been always the most high-scoring hockey. Like, when Guy Boucher had success, everyone knows how Guy Boucher hockey is. We weren't putting up six goals on a nightly basis, although there was the rare occasion where it would be a really high-scoring game. And, you know, Paul McLean's coaching style wasn't exactly the best for defense, but I think the roster at that point uh, was a bit weaker offensively. Like, you kind of had Eric Carlson just carrying everyone out there and Jason Spezza. Although then you had the one season where Spezza was injured the whole year until the playoffs. So that doesn't exactly help a team score goals. It's uh, It's been really refreshing to see this high-scoring offensive hockey. I know one thing that's kind of funny to me is that in the past few years, or basically since the Leafs drafted Matthews and Marner, I kind of have always been ragging on them for how the team kind of gets overhyped for just like... They've, they're kind of all offense. Now, in the last couple of years, they've definitely improved on defense. But in the first couple of years there with Matthews and Marner, it was just like they were winning games 7-6 and stuff like that and blowing leads left and right. And now I kind of get the sense that the Sens might be that kind of a team where they're playing a lot of high-scoring games. But now, as a fan of a team that actually has the ability to, ability to score like that, I can't complain, even though I was making fun of the Leafs for it at first. When you're coming out of a rebuild, it's just really refreshing to watch them just super entertaining games, no matter if you win or lose in the end. Like, just the high-scoring fun, really, is just awesome to see. Like, even though Arizona hung around a little bit in this game, it wasn't too bad overall. It's, it's just super refreshing so far. Now, I want to get in, into some... Uh, individual player performances. Now, we obviously have to shout out Shane Pinto once again. Four-game goal streak, super impressive for a rookie, especially missing all of last year 
Like, I was super excited to see Shane Pinto play this season, but I was not expecting this kind of a start. Like, just really amazing stuff from him. And now it's kind of getting me worried. It might be too early for this, but he his entry-level contract is actually already expiring after this year. And now I'm like, oh my god, he's scoring so many goals. I hope that we'll be able to get him under a good contract. Definitely too early for that, but that that thought has just been in the back of my mind in these past few games, so I wanted to bring that up. I also wanted to shout out Zub on uh, Pinto's first goal. Zub had a great assist just stepping up on that play, seeing the uh, the loose puck, Arizona kind of gave it up there, and instead of, uh, instead of staying back, he showed great offensive instincts to jump up into the play and uh, get the puck to the front of the net. It was a bit of a broken play with Tyler Mott banging around in front of the net, but Zub was really the key on that play because that was great to see for, from him as we really see him as more of a defensive defenseman so far. He hasn't put up like big offensive numbers, but that that was a great play. Like that to me, that seems like a play that you would expect Thomas Shabbat or Jake Sanderson to make. So really, really nice uh, dynamic play from Zub there. And now soon after that, the second goal, Josh Norris, very glad to finally see him rewarded after he's hit the post like 10 times in the first four games. And, uh, I was very happy as well to get a goal recorded for my fantasy team because I did pick him this year. And I uh, also wanted to shout out Debrinkit creating the, the play on that, getting the, the forecheck in deep, creating a turnover once again, and getting the, the pass to the point. Debrinkit hasn't, uh, hasn't lit the world on fire yet, but he's quietly point per game. He's, he's showing us that he has some playmaking ability, which is really nice to see. And uh, although, as I mentioned, my fantasy team, we got that one goal from Norris, but... Of course, now he's injured, which is very concerning for me and for the Senators. Uh, we'll get into that a little bit later. But uh, one other thing I wanted to point out in the first period was Troy Stetcher, when he just sat on the puck, that was such a weird play to me. It's something that you don't see very often, so I could kind of see why that's not really, like, a, maybe it's not something in the rule book or something that a ref would be thinking about to look for or to call the play. Like, I think usually if the puck is lost underneath someone, they would just blow it dead. But I felt like Stetcher was doing that on purpose. Like, he closed his legs on the puck, and then when Pinto went in with his stick, he closed his legs even harder and clamped down on Pinto's stick. Like, I can't help but feel like that should be a delay of game penalty. I don't know if it's just me, but that was... Uh, I felt like that was really goofy. And... Uh, Somehow it ended up being four on four, not even for Stetcher, like, stopping play there, just for, like, slashing penalties afterward. I thought that was a little bit silly, so I know uh, refing is often under scrutiny in this league, and luckily it didn't really have an effect on the outcome here today, but I just, I had that down in my notes because that was something that kind of bothered me. I don't, <laughs> I don't think you should be able to just sit on the puck in the slot and get a whistle like if you get the whistle from that it should be a penalty to you for delay of game but I don't know I guess I do feel kind of bad for Arizona too I guess they have to uh yeah Leo says it feels like the same as covering it with your hand now I know covering it with your hand is only a penalty in the crease right or is that for a penalty shot it's a penalty as well I guess if you cover it anywhere in the defensive zone yeah so it's yeah what difference does it make if you're covering it with your butt or your legs like just that was a little bit ridiculous but 
Speaking of special teams and, and refing there, the Coyotes, I do have to shout them out on one thing and give them a bit of credit, is that going into this game, surprisingly, their power play was somehow at a 31.3%, which obviously early in the season, numbers are going to be inflated. That's insanely high, but that actually does rank fifth in the whole league, I believe it was when I looked. So <laughs> I was a little bit worried here today that the Achilles heel, if Arizona was going to uh, actually make this close, was going to be their power play. You know, the Achilles heel being uh, the Senators not being able to kill those penal penalties, but they did okay. I think the Genther goal, I'm not sure if my notes are correct here. I think the Genther goal was on the power play there. Yeah, because it was Watson and Hamannick, I thought were a little too casual on that play. Just, I mean, I want to give credit to the Coyotes power play, as I was just saying there with that, that great percentage, but I feel like that one was a little soft from our penalty kill. Watson kind of stumbled a bit, and then he he drifts one way, Hamnick drifts the other way, kind of trying to block a pass, and then Genther is wide open for that shot. Credit to him, though, it was a really nice shot. But, of course, it was yet another first NHL goal against the Senators. I have to mention that. I will mention it every time someone scores a first NHL goal against the Senators, because we are number one. If we can be number one at something, it will be this. Even though it's terrible, we are number one at it. So I, I always got to point it out. But uh, yeah, so first period wrapped up. Actually, that was into the second period now, the Genther goal. First period was pretty, pretty calm. Into the second period, Brady had that beautiful power play goal. I think it was uh, Batherson who made the final pass to him. Stutzla Batherson. The assists on that play, I believe, that was just beautiful, making it look way too easy there. It kind of felt bad for the, the Arizona goalie on that one. His penalty killers didn't really help him out. Really nice to see Brady scoring so much early in the season, too. And then just after that, got to be the luckiest goal I've ever seen by Arizona. Like, there's a lot of fluke goals in hockey that happen, but that one was just ridiculous. I believe it took three deflections. I think it was off Sanderson, then off Forsberg's stick, and then off of Hamannick in front. And I, I think it was Keller who got the goal. I don't even think he was trying to make much of a play there. Like, he was just flicking it in front, hoping for something to happen. He got extremely lucky there. So that was a bit of a buzzkill early in the second period to see them get so close on the score sheet, 3-2 at that point, off of just, like, pretty much pure luck because we were dominating in the shot count at that point and luckily it stayed that way i was kind of worried that a deflating goal like that would be uh, a bit of a, a killer in terms of momentum but we did all right in the end uh and i felt definitely felt bad for forsberg on that one too because he played pretty well today even though he didn't have to face a lot of shots that's kind of those one of those ones where it's just lucky and you know he kind of kind of maybe got caught sleeping a little bit but there's not much you can do on such a fluke bounce like that and I wanted to note, uh, Leo in the chat says, anyone surprised that Helberg didn't get the start? He's all smiles on the bench, but I bet he wants in. Yeah, I was kind of thinking that he was going to start today. Like, I was saying uh, last show, I believe, if there's any game while Talbot is injured where you could kind of afford to play Helberg, it would be this one. And I don't know, like, I, I just never want to see a starting goalie overworked. You just... You always got to be careful with that because we've seen this happen in the league before where a goalie's just playing way too many games and you see the stats start to dip. Obviously, early in the season, Forsberg should be fresh, 
but you don't want to overwork a goalie too quickly. Like, like by the time Talbot comes out, or by the time Talbot comes back, it might be between like 15 to 20 games at that point. And I don't think, ideally, you want Forsberg starting every single one of those games. I think that's a bit much. So, personally, I kind of did want to see Halberg tonight, but he he is a bit of an unknown. And even though it's not a top opponent in Arizona, it really is a game that you had to win. So I kind of get DJ's thinking and going with Forsberg just because you really want to get those points against the teams that you should beat. And putting in an unknown in Halberg, it could have just... I don't know. It, it could be seen as a little risky, even though Arizona's not very good. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to sound like diminishing to uh, Helberg or anything, because I'm sure he's a good goalie. He's capable, and the way the Sens played, I think Helberg would have been able to pick up the win here too tonight. But, but I do kind of get uh, DJ's thinking and sticking with Forsberg. Yeah, Hamza, I'm very glad we don't have back to backs till December. That's that was really surprising to me when I learned that because I feel like last year especially. The Sens had so many back-to-backs. It might have been because uh, the league schedule was more condensed. I think they started and ended a little bit later last year. And now we're back on more of a regular schedule. But very fortunate that we don't have any back-to-backs for such a long time. And now, going into the third period there, the next goal was huge. Like, when you're dominating a team like that, and they get close just off of a fluky bounce you really don't want them to get the next one because then all of a sudden they, they're alive and they can, like Arizona still has a little bit of offensive talent there, especially with that power play that I was mentioning. Like if they uh, if they had gotten the next goal there to make it 3-3 and then maybe you get a bad penalty and their power play, it can actually hurt you. So thank God that Mark Kostelik came in. It was a little bit of a lucky goal but some karma after the Coyotes' lucky goal. And uh, Kostelik, I really got to hand it to him here so far early in the season. He's been great. Like, for a rookie fourth-line center adjusting to the league, it's hard to know what to expect. Like, often, I feel like I expect rookies to, you know, kind of struggle defensively as they're kind of getting used to the speed of the league. But he's been very good so far. I guess it, it does help that he's huge. He's like... I don't know his height. He's like at least like 6'5", I think. Freaking huge guy. He had a great fight today, a great goal. A little bit of a lucky goal, as I said, but also wanted to point out before today, he was actually 75% on face-offs heading into this game, and I'm not sure how many he won tonight, but the Sens did have the edge in face-offs once again, so I would have to assume that he had a positive ratio again today. That's another thing that's really surprising from a rookie center. Awesome to see that from him, too. And then... We do have to talk about the Norris injury. Briefly mentioned it earlier. I just, I kind of want to pivot to it now because talking about Kostelik and talking about Pinto earlier, that's two guys who are going to have to move up in the lineup if Norris misses significant time. I haven't uh, seen any updates yet. I haven't really been on Twitter since starting the stream, but uh, if anyone sees an update, let me know there in the chat if we hear anything on Norris because I'm really hoping... He won't be out for too much longer. As good as Pinto and Kostelik have been, that's a lot to ask for these rookies to move up in the lineup so soon into their rookie seasons. Like, I'm sure Pinto will do great if he has to move into that second line with Dibrinkit and Giroux. I have no issues with that line. But I feel like Kostelik, 
as good as he's been and as much praise I've given him here. Going up, I feel like going up from the fourth line to the third line is quite a jump, especially playing with, uh, going from playing with uh, Watson and Kelly who kind of play the same style, bang and crash like Kostelik. Um, Tyler Mott is kind of the same style too, but like, can Kostelik keep up with a guy like Matthew Joseph? I'm not sure. I don't know how well that will work like on even strength. Uh, Smith said, no updates for now. I expect one by tomorrow. Yeah, I hope we don't have to wait too long for an update there. I feel like with injuries like that, the longer you wait for an update, the worse it probably will be. Because, like, if they find out that it's not so bad, they'll just say, like, oh, yeah, it's fine. He'll be okay. It was precautionary. So hopefully it's not too bad for Norris. Fingers crossed. Uh, Ham's pointing out that we do have Broussard waiting to hop into the lineup. I did want to mention that as well. Broussard, I think, was a great depth signing. And this is exactly why they signed him. As soon as one guy goes down, like I said, you have everyone else moving up into different situations. And it's good that we have a veteran player and not just a rookie that we can plug in there. Broussard with the experience. He's been able to uh, play in teams top sixes for most of his career. And he's kind of taken on more of a role as a bottom six forward in the last few years. So wherever we need to plug him in, I think he'll do a good job. I don't know if uh, he has the legs to kind of keep up in a top six anymore. So I think they'll go with Pinto in on that second line. But maybe maybe you keep Kostelik on the fourth line with Kelly and Watson, I'm thinking. And then plug in Broussard with Joseph and Mott. I think that's probably what I would do if I were DJ Smith. We do also have Dylan Gambrell, who hasn't played a game yet today. Uh, or, sorry, hasn't played a game yet this season. I uh, I don't know if he'll draw into the lineup before Broussard, though. I think that veteran presence from Broussard and versatility to play anywhere in the lineup, because he can play center or wing. Obviously, we do need a center, but I feel like Broussard is going to get the call. And uh, then we got another lucky goal after that Castella goal that I was talking about. Tyler Mott, it was nice to see him rewarded. I think he had an empty net goal in the, in the previous game. Nice to see him put one by the goalie, even though it was a bit of a, a spill job from the goalie. He Tyler Mott, I've been really impressed by. He's just been absolutely fantastic on defense. Penalty killing, blocking shots, throwing hits. So, nice to see him pick one up there, crashing the net. And oh, after that as well, we had the Nor... Or, sorry, not Norris. Forsberg, unreal save. He wowed all of us with that sa glove save he had against Washington. And you'd think he wouldn't be able to one-up that, but I think it was on an Arizona power play. He had another save kind of moving across to the same side of the net that I think might have been even more impressive. I feel like it was even like an even longer reach. And then it was really nice to see after that save as well, the crowd chant. I think they were chanting Anton Forsberg or Let's Go Forsberg or something like that. That was really nice to see. The uh, the fans have another player-specific chant there. I always like those uh, connections between the fans and the players. And Forsberg has really uh, endeared himself to this fan base with his great play so far. And then Brady Kachuk as well. We have to talk about him with that goal at the end of the game. Brady has now hit 200 career points. And he's got four goals, four assists in only five games this season. Which... I don't want to say surprising because I've always been a huge Kachuk fan, got his jersey back there, but 
the hot start is a little bit surprising. That line with uh, Stutzla, Batherson, Kachuk has just been like easily the Senator's best line so far. And I remember seeing some stats the other day that in terms of expected goals for percentage, they're actually ranked fifth among all the lines in the league. Ahead of them was like Malkin's line, Stamkos's line, Gaudreau's line, and then on the stars, Robertson, Hintz, Pavelski, which obviously last year we know was a fantastic line as well. So nice to see this new line combination that DJ went with has been amazing so far. And we're really seeing it pay off with Brady's stats. It's uh, very nice as well that we already got him locked up to that $8 million deal. I know a lot of people were kind of calling that an overpayment when it happened. But if, if he keeps producing like this, that's in, in no way an overpayment. You could even say underpayment. I don't know if he'll keep up this pace all season, but I think, dare I say it, this might be a year where Brady Kachuk could go point per game. I think I'll predict it right now. It might be a little bit ballsy, but I think Brady Kachuk is going to go point per game this year. Uh, like, at least 80 points. I'm going to say that right now. It's great to have him locked up. And then, last thing I wanted to talk about today... Since we're playing Arizona, I feel like I have to talk about Jacob Chikrin. And I want to know, leave your opinions in the chat down below. What do you think about Jacob Chikrin at this point? Are you over the concept of trading for him? Or are you still all in on the Chikrin train? Because all summer, we were kind of just waiting for a Chikrin trade to drop. And then it just kind of became radio silence after all those initial rumors. Obviously, he's injured now. Gary Ach said on the broadcast that he's had a setback, it seems. So I wouldn't expect anything to happen imminently, but I feel like it's still a player that Pierre Dorian really wants. Like, And we know from past trades that if it's rumored that Pierre Dorian wants someone, he will really go after them. Like, He was rumored to be going after Duchesne for a long time before that trade happened. It kind of feels to me like it might be another situation like that where we know we want this player, and it seems like the player would enjoy being here too, especially if the Senators keep winning. We know he wants to play on a playoff team. That's basically the main reason that he requested a trade in the first place. So it like, it seems like it would be a match, but I'm at this point, I'm not sure. I'm going to take a look at the chat and see what people are saying. Leo says, I would like to get him, but not for, say, three first round picks. Hamza says, the length of the injury is the issue. I think so too. Like, I agree with both of those comments. At this point, like, three assets that are worth, like, first round pick quality seems like a lot for Chikrin, especially how we've seen uh, Jake Sanderson and Eric Branson play really well so far this season. Because before the season, I would have had no problem including Eric Branson uh, in a Chikrin trade, for example, but he's really surprised so far and looking like a much better player than we've ever seen from him before. So I think uh, on that left side, I'm not sure how much we need Chikrin anymore. Like, again, before the season, I was thinking if we could have Shabbat, Chikrin, and then Sanderson on the left side, that could be really stacked. Be kind of like how Tampa has those... Well, they lost McDonough now, but they had Hedman, McDonough, and Sergeyev down the left side. And then no matter which pairing is on the ice, you basically have... A first pairing D, no matter what. That could still be great, but the emergence of Branstrom, I think, might mean that we don't need Chikrin as bad as we think. Now, 
there, one thing that's always confused me is that some people say that Chikrin can play the right-hand side, and some people say not so much, he doesn't really. If he can play the right-hand side and do that well, I think I'm still all in on the Chikrin trade. But if he really is more of a left side only, or just way better on the left side, I'm not so sure if we need him anymore, especially with the assets that it might take to get him. Hamza says, with his injury, he was doing well. Then he got the setback, which is going to take around a month to heal. It's going to take a while before he's on the ice. Also says, I would consider going after Scott Mayfield on the Islanders. Now, that's an interesting thing that I've seen brought up a lot by Sens fans is Scott Mayfield. A right-handed D on a really cheap contract at the moment. I think he's expiring at the end of the year. So it could be a situation where if the Islanders aren't in the playoff hunt like they weren't last year, he could be one of those guys that's uh, getting moved at the deadline or even sooner if they really tank out of things. I have to agree. I'm kind of selfishly hoping that the Islanders don't perform too well this year so that maybe we could pick up Scott Mayfield kind of for cheap. Like, since he is an expiring contract, I don't know if it's if he would necessarily be a long-term piece, but in terms of, like, a stopgap, that's something much better than, like, for example, Travis Hamannick. No offense to him, but that's kind of a guy that you want on your third pair. Whereas uh, Scott Mayfield has played a lot of great minutes for the Islanders, had some long playoff runs with them. And his, uh, his cheap contract as well, obviously he would be due for a raise, but as a defensive defenseman, I don't know how much of a raise he would get, really. So I feel like that's a really good target that the Suns could go after instead of Chikrin. I, I would be excited if a chicken trade happened, but in the end, I'm feeling like the longer this goes on, he might not really be the option. And then we've got another comment in the chat here suggesting that John Klingberg would be a good option for the Sens at the deadline. I was kind of hoping the Sens could maybe sign John Klingberg to a one-year deal in the offseason like the Ducks did. However, at this point, with all the goals that we're putting up, I'm not sure if we need like another offensive defenseman. I think the main thing with Chikrin is that his two-way game is really good. Like, yeah, he can score points, but he's kind of he was kind of defense first. And Klinkberg just doesn't really give me those vibes. Everyone kind of knows how he is, just all offensive-minded, kind of like a Carlson light. I think last year, he had a really bad plus-minus on the Stars, even though they were a low-scoring team. So that was a bit of a, a worrying stat line from him. I'm not super sold on John Klingberg, but but if we did need someone at the trade deadline, like in the playoff hunt, maybe at like 50% retained for a draft pick, I think it could be a decent option. I'd have to see how he plays for the Ducks for the rest of the year. But, uh, but yeah, exciting things to look forward to for the Senators. I'm already talking about trade deadline options. Might be a little bit too soon, although we are off to a very good start now. After going 0-2, hopefully we can keep this road trip going, or homestand going, with uh, two more wins. And I think I'll, I'll be wrapping things up now. We will be back, the Senators' next game, on Monday against the Dallas Stars. Charlie will be bringing you that stream. So I will be signing off for now. I will see you guys later.